Hey everyone, this is Josh real quick before the episode starts. Just wanted to let you guys know that I'm an idiot, and I'm sure all of you knew that. I accidentally had the microphone turned the other way, so if it sounds like I'm speaking to you in the middle of a bathtub, that's why. So, enjoy the episode! everybody welcome back to rumor flies i'm josh i'm ryan and we're here with birthday boy greg from in-depth media what? What's up, y'all? <laughs> today we actually brought another episode on the docket uh it's one that wait we, we do yes we do oh shit. that's why we're here and this is a, an, uh, a topic that we've covered before in previous seasons we're gonna be talking about food yes this is a staple of the show we've done it every time this season yeah, a staple i see what you did there <laughs> <laughs> then every season rather uh, and that's unintentional that wasn't something we thought would be reoccurring but we like it it's fun we're gonna keep doing yeah, it yeah it turns out that food is a big thing and just i don't know living so i guess everybody does it lots of rumors will stem from it along with masturbation don't kid yourself so ryan you want to start off the show with a plug speaking of masturbation ryan here we go plugs wait what am i plugging oh shit yeah so <laughs> Uh, in case anybody's interested, I think by the time this episode releases, I will have a uh, small, uh, by small I mean no subscribers until this episode drops probably, <laughs> uh, gaming channel on both Twitch and YouTube. It's going to be called Instant 3 Play. Josh has already been on an episode or two or three or four or five. Greg's going to be on there eventually because I'm going to force him to. And, uh, yeah, just go check it out. Just look up Instant 3 Play. It's all one word. And as we all know, the quality of Twitch stream is directly proportional to the quality of pun. And that was a solid pun. It, 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 you will not learn anything from this, by the way. It's just going to be just straight up. <laughs> Are you implying they learn anything from this? Good point. <laughs> good good point. Okay. <laughs> good point about All right. So we're pretty... <laughs> As he's putting on chapstick doing that, like, good clean about titties and just... Oh, blah, 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 blah. Everybody loves the mouth sounds. Uh, Anything more than a mouthful's a waste. One day we're going to do an episode while we're eating Pop Rocks. So I will vomit. You don't like Pop Rocks? No, they make me like, they make my insides hurt. Oh. Like, it's it's a psychological thing. Like, I can't do Pop Rocks. I will literally vomit. That's interesting. Yeah. So, for our next video supplement. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, are we ready to jump in? Since yep. we're pretty quiet on the plug front? Yep. Okay, so first one, <laughs> just can't get away from that little innuendo. All right, so our first topic is going to be, can in- intolerant people can't eat cheese? Oh, sorry, lactose intolerant <laughs> people can't eat cheese. I accidentally a word. Yeah, I, I missed something that I wrote myself. Uh, lactose intolerant people can't eat cheese. So uh, from a show of hands, how many people are lactose intolerant here? That's a great audio medium. I know, right? So uh, no, I'm not lactose intolerant. It was a uh, okay. So one in one jazz hand. Greg decided to just do that little like eh, kind of so so. But here's the part where we talk shit about Greg. You wouldn't even know because you don't like cheese, Greg. That's, what is wrong with you? You are a not a true point. American. We know that though. I had, I had nachos last night. Greg's he's from France, Ryan. He's not a true American. No, he should fucking love cheese if he's from France. That's no exi- that's no excuse. Yeah, I know. That's weird. No, seriously though, I know we give you a lot of shit. And most of it's unwarranted. <laughs> But so does cheese. Really? <laughs> this one? <laughs> they write themselves. They, they write themselves. <laughs> um, Greg, you want to tell us why you don't like cheese? Except for on pizza? Because I hate freedom. <laughs> Fair enough. This is honest. So, <laughs> Greg's penalty shots from now on is going oh, to be... Oh, no, 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 no. This is going to be melted cheese. Oh. Better. I'm going to... I have those, like... Uh, blue cheese crumbles. I, I have oh. those, like, uh, ice mold shot glasses. Oh, God. I'm just going to melt some craft singles oh. and then reharden them into <laughs> shot glass. <laughs> Make him shoot his liquor of choice. Greg, you can do that when I do my buffalo colada. Uh, Happening still. I know. Glad you didn't forget. So, all right, back to brass tacks. So, uh, to explain cheese making, a little primer on it. 
Cheese is made from the separation of milk, the main components, which would be the whey and the curd of it. The curd makes up the proteins. There's two different types of, ca- of protein in cheese. There's the casein protein and the whey protein. And anybody that... Ooh, uh, I know this. Yeah, there you go. Anybody that's familiar with working out or any general supplements that aid you in working out, there are two different types of protein. There's your whey protein, which is what most people take before a workout or just generally during the day. You know, or Josh is looking at me weird. How do you take it? I mean, it's your standard, like, what when you take a, a workout supplement, it's it's that kind of protein. Right. And then there's the lesser-known casein protein, which is still sold from just about any other protein distributor, that is um, used mainly when you go to bed, you're supposed right. to take it, and it, it kind of uh, aids in continuous digestion. Yeah, it keeps your metabolism going. That's yeah, why most it, people do it. It keeps you working. So it, it can take a much longer time to break down. Yeah. But in general, so casein protein is fat soluble and then your whey protein is water soluble that's why i don't know if you've ever dealt with casein protein it is hard as fuck to mix in anything aside from milk yeah that's why typically people use a blender yeah and i that still barely works for me whenever i was using it uh but anyway so that's the little primer on milk so what cheese essentially does uh in the process of it uh cheese makers use something called renette or they use an acidic substance such as um let's say vinegar or lemon juice like anything that has a uh, a low pH in general, to separate the casein and the whey proteins by making micelles that surround the fat, the the milk fats. The caseins go around the milk fats, and then it makes a little like a, uh like a little ball. I was gonna say a curd. Yeah, and they coagulate together. Now, some people like using rennet, and some people like using acid, just depending on what type of cheese you want. It doesn't matter which one you use; you still get the same result. Yes, it's just depending on the moisture and such and such and such. If you want, it's not important to this. Um, and also, rennet originally was from, um, I believe, a sheep stomach. It's an enzyme. It's a it's a classification for a bunch of enzymes. So it's enzyme versus acid. That's enough of the science for that. But what also is present in milk is something called uh, milk sugars. Uh, the main one is lactose, and that's where the term lactose intolerance comes from. So lactose intolerance stems from the lack of the enzyme lactase which is generally, uh, it breaks down lactose into glucose, glucose and galactose, which more pe- what people use as an actual energy source. Like that's more common sugars. Uh, we have fructose, glucose, galactose. They all make up each other to a certain degree. I don't want to get into the specifics of which one is a complex of yeah, the Yeah, which others. one does what, yeah. But definitely glucose and galactose are part of lactose. And if we don't have lactase in our stomachs, then we can't break it down into the usable uh, sugars. So we just eject it straight through, which will cause for a lot of people either gas or diarrhea or both or just general intestinal discomfort. So uh, let's see, the amount of lactase in the stomach declines with age, but can also be a result of celiac disease or being a premature baby. So oh. yeah, oh. kind of interesting. Wait, what you so sad about? Well, I'm a premature baby and my mom has celiac disease, so I'm fucked. <laughs> well, you're batting two for three. <laughs> Oh, wait, you sure you aren't older now? <laughs> so anyway, um, not to throw shade on Josh there. That's fine. A uh, little preemie. You fucking preemie. <laughs> Ten weeks, boo. Was George a preemie? No, he wasn't. He was fine. My twin brother was born normal. Okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, I think this is the second time we brought up that. Oh, well. Anyway, uh, so... Also, genetic predisposition can determine how much lactase lactase you have in your stomach. Uh, Scandinavians have the best tolerance, followed by Europeans, and the least are those of either Asian or African descent, which is why you don't really see either Asian or African cheeses or, you know, any cheese in Asian cuisine. You might see, like, cream cheese and, like, a California roll or something like that or, like, Crab Rangoon, but those are both generally considered to be not exactly authentic dishes from either, you know, China or Japan. So where does the Scani Nation fall? Please tell me you know what Scani Nation is. I don't. I had a friend who was from Wisconsin, and that's what he called people from Wisconsin, Scani Nation. I actually think there are a bunch of people of Scandinavian descent over there. I mean, so it makes sense that, you know, that since it's known for its cheese, that they'd be pretty high, you know, having tolerance. Yeah. So somebody from Wisconsin, please send us a mail. Scani Nation. And just, like, tell us how many Scandinavians you got over there. Rough estimate's five. How Skyrim-esque does it look over there? <laughs> Seriously, send us an email. We'll call you out. Uh, All right, Empire Stormcloak. 
Asking the real questions, Greg. In order to combat this lactose intolerance uh, from a decline in lactase in your stomach, uh, you can take lactase pills or something called lactobacillus probiotics. Um, a lot of people take probiotics just as a general like gut health type of thing as they get older or just as a good practice. That has lactobacillus, which kind of does the work for you. Like A lot of our stomach's jobs are, are done by the bacteria in our stomach and not the actual enzymes themselves. Um, not to say our stomach doesn't do a lot of amazing things, but we have a lot of bacteria that symbiotically benefits from just being in there. And, you know, we let them be there and they break down things for us. So let me ask you back to, you know, this really in-depth cheese analysis. Can people who are lactose intolerant eat cheese? About to get to that. Okay. I'm glad that you rang me back into the actual uh, main topic. So the answer is, unfortunately, yes and no. So, well, what? Remember how I was talking about how renette and acids have different results from whatever you're when still making cheese. Those guys are taking our name. What? <laughs> <laughs> remember how, man? We got to watch out. They're going to step on our intellectual property. Oh, damn it. So, anyway, um, depending on the cheese that you're dealing with, there's something called high moisture cheese, medium moisture cheese, and low moisture cheese. Low moisture cheese being something like uh, mozzarella. Or uh, farmer's cheese or halloumi, you, you know, the stuff that Wait, they have like... mozzarella's low moisture cheese? Most of the time, yes. Really? Because uh, taking out the package, it's always like sopping wet. Um. Okay, well, do you have that type of mozzarella? I guess what I'm thinking more of is like the string cheese variety. Okay, okay. You can pick. Um, and But that is just because it's in a wet like brine or something doesn't mean that it's necessarily a... Um, a low moisture oh, cheese. A high moisture I'm cheese. I'm sorry, a high moisture cheese, yeah. Okay. Uh, a way to kind of gauge what kind of moisture cheese it is by how well it melts. So you'll oh, see okay. something that like, makes you know, sense. Um, yeah. like a soft cheddar will melt very easily or American cheese will melt very easily. That's because it has a higher, uh, not only water, but most of the time milk content in there. So during this whole process of you know, separating the curd from the whey when you add whatever enzyme or acid to the milk to make the cheese, they, they separate the curd and then they drain out the whey and then they press it into cheese. So in some cases, for some cheeses, like the harder cheeses, like uh, Parmesan or Asiago or any of those, even Swiss, those don't have a lot of liquid in them. And not only that, that means that since the lactose, which is water-soluble, uh, will not be in the cheese. Okay. In very much less quantities. So you have something like ricotta or um, cottage cheese where there's a lot like, yeah, you're, regardless of your opinion on it, those wetter cheeses have a lot more milk in them and a lot more water in them, which therefore has more lactose in them. That, that, it makes sense. So it really depends on the moisture of your cheese. So you got that moist cheese, you're going to have lactose. So um, I have a list of them, some things that are yeses and noes. The yeses are generally Munster, blue cheese, camembert, brie, cheddar. Uh, one of the hard cheddars are like you know the sharper ones. Yeah. Uh, provolone, Gouda, Parmesan, and Swiss. So those are okay to eat. Those are the ones that are more friendly for people that are lactose intolerant because they're just harder cheeses and most of the liquid has been pressed out of them. The big noes are generally feta, ricotta, Colby, American. I saw a cottage, and then I saw on here Velveeta. Apparently, what? Velveeta is its own type of cheese. It's not only a brand. So I guess good on them for being a brand and their own type of cheese. But um, I wish there was a cut and dry yes or no. But essentially, it really depends on what cheese you're eating. So use that as your little guide. And I have, you know, as always, something in the show notes that'll have the list of the do's and don'ts for lactose intolerant people. So. Yeah, that's that. And also, I'm lactose intolerant, but I, I, I still eat all of the cheeses in the nose. <laughs> it doesn't stop you. No, it doesn't. I take probiotics, so it, yeah. it generally helps. There you go. Um, that's my pretty dry... Uh, that wasn't meant to be a pun. Shut up. <laughs> uh, analysis of uh, lactose intolerance. So what you got, Josh? My first topic of the day is going to be something that, while maybe not this specific instance, people have heard all throughout history. And the one I'm specifically going to be talking about, <laughs> what? Nothing. You're just going to sound silly when you say it. Well, I'll get to it. I'll explain what I'm talking about. But the one I'm talking about is Taco Bell uses dog food grade meat. Now, this It was is... in the book of Revelation, dude. 
<laughs> chapter two. That's what John of Patmos saw. Chapter two, verse verse fifteen. He saw the purple bell. That's right. And he saw the dog grinder. <laughs> so it it morphs into things like I heard from a friend that Taco Bell Taco Bell meat is grade F, while most dog foods are like grade D, which I'll get into that in a minute. And or things like I heard that. Several people from several people that Taco Bell uses grade D edible meat in their foods, and that has like the skins or or the the penises or the the testicles or whatever else people want to throw in there. Everything in a hot dog. Yeah, but my point being is that you can literally. Oh, that's actually a great point. I'll get to that in a minute. You can literally replace Taco Bell with any food chain or restaurant or cafeteria or anything that some story has been propagated at some point that a specific place that is a food vendor uses some sort of tainted meat. Well, before you get any further, I want to let you know that whatever the answer to this is, it will not inform my decision to eat Taco Bell again whatsoever. I will keep eating Taco Bell until I die from it. I've caught in salmonella from Taco Bell. <laughs> I can confidently it. say I have, and I still eat it. I love Taco Bell. I mean, I can't hate on it. This yeah. episode brought to you by Taco Bell? I wish. So, <laughs> my favorite thing... They owe us money now, right? <laughs> Please. So my favorite thing about that, like I was saying, is people saying that like grade blank meat. First off, why like why would you use grades D or F? Clearly that comes from school, okay, where you know D is below average and F is failing. Now I, I don't know, I just think because that also implies there's grades A, B, C, and so it forth. It stands you know? for fucking gross. That's right. Well. The origin of this myth is hard to pinpoint because it is very much an, uh, an oral history type of thing. It's word of mouth. So I decided the best way to tackle this is to see if there was somewhere in like a fast food industry or or a supply chain where there was some sort of tainted meat uh, making it out for people to eat. What are you laughing at? <laughs> when you say oral history, I once again imagine like a bunch of Choctaw sitting around telling the story about the coming terribleness of the fast food of the white man's fast food that known. tastes terrible <laughs> oh god yeah okay so sorry you're making taco bell sound a lot older than it is i know right greg what was taco bell founded not only that greg who invented the u-shaped taco i'll answer that one for you it was taco bell but just verify it for me <laughs> Did they really? Yeah. Huh. Good for them. There were no fried tacos before Taco Bell. So back to my point about being like grade whatever meat. Um, the first thing that's bullshit. March about... 21st, 1962 in Downey, California. Oh. U-shaped taco. Look it up. So the, first back to being what I was saying about the, the grade whatever meat. Meat isn't graded using letters in the United States. Is it numbers? No. It's pass fail. <laughs> it's very simple it's it's just pass fail well you know i always hear of like you know usda prime usda choice uh all I'll, those i'll get to that so yeah meat is pass fail and meat that fails then isn't given to like it does look like it started at taco bell yeah, cool there you go congratulations ryan you got something correct well this is first source and they have like no years or dates it's like the worst we haven't forgotten the buffalo colada <laughs> I got two things right, at least. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was actually Greg. Thank you very much. Anyway, meat that fails. It's not all of a sudden giving it to, like, Beneful or some other pet supplier, like, food supplier, to then be fed to the dog. Right. So, meat that fails isn't doesn't go anywhere except the garbage. And, yeah, there's no grading system. So, what did you see as the criteria for it to pass or fail? Like, does it have to have, like, a certain, like, threshold of... Co well, I'm going to say... Bacteria in general or diseased or contaminated meat in general, like what qualifies as pass or fail for it, it just says, uh, do they judge it by like the actual characteristics of it? What? Greg? <laughs> that's, that's Greg's job now. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw a slider in there. No, no, no. That, I, I didn't oh. even think about that. That's what? Oh, uh, like a slider? Like a, like uh, a, slide. like a, like a hamburger a slider? slider. Oh. <laughs> We're talking about tacos, though. <laughs> Why don't we have Pacos here right now? All right, I'm over you too. <laughs> so this is my own personal conjecture, but I think a big reason that people assume places, some places have such low quality meat is because of the menu pricing, which is one thing that Ryan, 
Will you agree with me that we love about Taco Bell? Is how cheap it is. I had a game once where I was trying to spend 20 bucks at Taco Bell and eat it all. Yeah, it's hard. You know, we go to the store, get meat and other products, while some restaurants or fast food places offer such low prices on food that in your mind, you automatically assume that the meat is low quality or low grade or things like that. I don't know. That that was kind of my thinking on it, like from like the psychological perspective, how, how people would perceive it. But like I said, there's nothing that proves that. That's just my, my own thinking. Mm-hmm. Now on to the actual facts of it, okay? In 2013, there were some companies that were found to have trace amounts of not dog, but horse DNA in their product. So that's even, that that's actually uh, separating. We're not even talking about finding actual dogs in your Taco Bell. We're talking about finding dog food in your Taco Bell or it being the same thing. Yeah, So we're so it was trace amounts of horse DNA, but... Taco Bell was, in fact, one of those companies that were uh, have found horse DNA in, in their meat, as was, I'm sure y'all can name one. Who else had horse meat in their food? Probably somebody in Norway. Ikea. You remember oh. that with the meatballs? Oh, That was yeah. a big thing back in 2013. And Burger King as well. See, I've willingly eaten horse, so it doesn't make a big difference to me. Um, but I should also point out that this was not in the United States. This was in... The UK or Britain, whatever you want to call it, Sweden and France. So it was over in Europe. And Taco Bell actually released a statement saying that they do not import their meat from Europe. So people in the United States don't have to worry about it. Hear that? You're getting straight American meat. Sorry, any European listeners, you probably ate horse. But you probably like that anyway. Horse isn't bad. It's just kind of boring. Like, it's just, I don't know, it's tough. So this, this... The clarification of meats, this whole thing about like grading is actually really interesting. Um, it can go on and on. Different foods have different ratings, but the beef carcass clarification actually is eight. Yeah. Like U.S. Prime, Choice, Select, Standard, Commercial, Utility, Cutter, Canner. And uh, there's like all these different things about it. So what was your specific question about it again? What were you asking? Uh, he said there was pass or fail. Yeah. It. So the thing is, is that when... You, I think you have to use a certain standard for a certain industry, and then you pass or fail that industry. Right. So they, they basically – you send in the meat to see if it can be sold for human consumption in some form, and it's pass or fail. And then after that, you can send that meat to the USDA, and then they will grade it based off of where it falls on that spectrum of those eight choices. What decides whether it goes to worker man or garbage can? That's what he's asking. Like what, what makes meat pass or fail? Like, what specifically about it? So y'all can keep going forward and I'll look that up. Yeah, so, but essentially, while it wasn't Taco Bell using dog food or dog dog food grade meat, based on a technicality, there was, you know, animal DNA that was found in some of their food. Just like the whole, oh man, crap, we could have done this one. We'll do it later. Uh, The whole uh, canned tuna having some dolphin in it. Oh, that's a good point. I never thought about that. Listen, no, hold chicken. up. We're gonna, <laughs> what? It's chicken. It's not uh, tuna. It's uh, chicken of the sea. Oh, ha ha. Okay. So long story short is that there is no such thing as grade D meat to, have in he- to even have in yeah. the food. Yeah. No such thing as grade anything meat. It's either you eat it or you don't. Okay. See, I'm once again, okay with that. I mean, I would not expect them to have like... USDA choice or prime no in Taco Bell meat because I mean the food costs in general do you want a cheap taco or do you want you know I'm not going to Taco Bell for a USDA certified like sirloin aged 20 years or some some nonsense like that yeah uh, and after me trying to make dry aged beef myself I don't think I wanted it at all <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot to explain here they have like all the the sorry not to interrupt but yeah it's uh a lot going on, but they send it. Inspection is required, as you were saying, and then it's voluntary to do meat grading. Right. But the inspection determines the, the, the big takeaways four elements. Um, if it's healthy, which means no disease, sound, which is clean and sanitary, wholesome, not adulterated, and properly labeled, which is it is what it says it is. So this all came about after Roosevelt with the ball beef scandal, conditions in Chicago stockyards, basically the turn of the century stuff. Sinclair's yeah. jungle. Yeah, I was going to say all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I'm um, a big, also the big fourth reason is because of since the 1800s, Europe doesn't follow American meat standards. So, um, yeah, we've had different, yeah, it says reasons for meat inspection. Number one is failure of Europeans to recognize our meat inspection law of the 1800s. Thanks a lot, Greg. Assholes. You French dick bag. Anyway, that's from a, 
That's if anyone hasn't figured it out yet, Greg so. is not actually French. Well, by heritage, but he's not from France. I, I would hope. It got around on Twitter a little bit that you were actually French. So the point where other podcasts were mentioned. So yeah, that nips that in the bud. Ryan, what, what, what's your next topic, boy? What you got? What in the world is in that bag? What you got in that bag? So it's not actually a bag. It's a box and it's full of chocolates. So my topic is going to be one known by anybody that's ever been a teenager. So most people listening to this, I'd hope. Uh, chocolate and greasy foods cause acne. I'm mainly going to focus on the chocolates because greasy foods gets lumped into the whole chocolate thing. Yeah, I predominantly heard chocolate causing acne. I mean, greasy foods, I guess, make sense. I never really thought about it. But yeah, I predominantly heard chocolate causes acne. Yeah, so uh, this one's relatively short, but it's kind of interesting, the conclusion that they came to. Um, It's kind of like the guns don't kill people, I kill people type of thing. Yeah. Um, So the primary components of chocolate come from cacao, which is also known as theobroma cacao which is the uh, cocoa plant. It looks like just this giant, like, brown bean type of thing. It, it's pretty ugly when you first look at it. Um, but the main chocolate bar that we know and love, or, I mean, everybody likes chocolate, right? I know you're weird and can't eat an entire candy bar, but you'll at least eat chocolate things. Yeah. So the main components are uh, cocoa butter, cocoa solids, so you have, like, what actually makes it taste like chocolate, which is the solids, like cocoa powder. Yeah. Cocoa butter, which is its own special type of fat. And then usually varying degrees of milk and sugar. One thing, though, is that um, this is me throwing shade on white chocolate because I fucking hate white chocolate. It's not real chocolate. You know why? Because it doesn't have cocoa solids in it. It's just cocoa butter. White chocolate is the fucking devil. I hate it. Okay. Fuck white chocolate. Okay, we get anyway. it. Anyway. There goes our sponsor. Well, sorry. This episode is definitely not brought to you by white chocolate. Okay? Fuck off white chocolate. And there's tons of caffeine in chocolate, too. But not white chocolate, which makes it completely useless in my book still. Anyway, this, this whole episode was just so I could talk shit about white chocolate. Yeah, we found the real reason you wanted to cover this, Ryan. Right? So, n- now as for acne. Acne forms when oil glands make too much of something called sebum, which is a waxy substance that along with dead skin cells can clog pores. Now, sebum is also useful for hair, like healthy hair and such like that, but we're talking about the face right now. Uh, bacteria grow and irritate the block pores, giving the red and swollen looks to them. Too much harsh wa- washing can also further inflame the area. So it's a buildup of bacteria and sebum at the same time in your face. So, so what's the difference between acne and an ingrown hair then? Um, so an ingrown hair can actually be an infection or the way it grows, it can irritate it and then cause uh, beta T cells, which is effectively pus. Yeah. Okay. Um, to form in there. So it's a little bit of a mix. Uh, okay. That's that. Okay. That's what I needed. I just wanted to know like why it was so similar, but it was different, but I mean. they're similar. Both of them cause that pus to form because one of them is a blockage, which causes irritation. And the other one is just the ingrown hair just growing wrong, which causes the irritation and the pus comes. And that ladies and gentlemen is why we have a podcast. So, uh, I'm going to be wrong on that. Somebody's going to send me an email on it. We I know. Get... That's why we have a podcast, though, so you can By be By the wrong. way, thank you people for sending us email in the meantime, even like between the seasons. We've been getting a lot of good ones. Yeah, we've, and we've been getting like a lot of steady emails, too, so it's been really fun. Josh so... just got like yeah. schooled on, not really schooled, but like he had a long conversation about Disney. We had one listener, this, this is just in relevance to our first episode, uh, we had somebody write to us. Did you read that about the woman that like went to Club 33? No. Yeah, she went to that. Club 33 back in like Disney's like original days in uh, Disneyland. Oh, wow. And she was talking about this magnificent elevator that brought you up there and did some research. It turns out that that elevator isn't even in use anymore. It's used as like a special dining booth. Huh. Oh, yeah, really cool. so she was there in like the heyday, like the, the genesis of Club 33. That's dope as shit. Yeah. I'll have to read that email. See, so, the thing is, our goal is that we get enough emails. We don't have to do any more work. Y'all can just basically come with all the <laughs> topics for us. You are now our research team inadvertently. So It's up to you to make us have a listener mail episode, okay? A listener-based episode, rather. So anyway, um, continuing listeners. on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So anyway, most studies suggested that a high glycemic index diet, such as those in like high fat and sugar, uh, cause acne because it causes an increase in um, hormonal response, which causes sebum production, which, you know, further down the chain, sebum production, bacteria, and then, you know, just it causes the, the swelling in the pores to, you know, clog up. 
So it seems like that that was just like really stripped down to chocolate causes acne. So this is where I was saying the whole guns don't kill people thing. Uh, that's a terrible thing. I might get some shit for it, but I don't care. It was on. It was in Billy Madison. It's one of my favorite. No, that was Happy Gilmore. Sorry, correcting myself on that one. It was like one of my favorite shirts. Seeing that, who was that was wearing that shirt? Was that a famous dude, the giant guy? It was. It wasn't boss, Andre the Giant. It was his former boss in the sh- in the movie. Yeah, I, f- I forget. Uh, got the foreman he shot the nail gun at and hit him in the head. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was trying to think if that was a famous actor. No, it's not. He he like died. That might have been Lurch. I don't know if it was Lurch. Uh, I don't think it was, but it could be. I'm anyway, not sure. Have this answer momentarily. So okay. Back on the rails. <laughs> so high glycemic index. So there have been studies that have done comparisons uh, with diets to see how it affects acne. So they took some uh, boys, uh, some teenage boys, and it, this one particular study that is, and they had one group eat a high glycemic index uh, type of diet, which was, you know, candy, fried foods, all the whole plethora of things that a normal teenage boy would eat. The other one was on a more high protein and then complex carbohydrate diet, like, you know, whole grains, uh, more vegetables, less fruits, like less sugars in general. And it turns out that acne, what? I'm drinking maple syrup to go with my cake while you eat your chicken and broccoli, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's essentially what they did. Which group would you want to be in? I know which one I'd want to be in. So Richard Keel was Jaws. I knew his name was Richard. Yeah, he. Yeah, that's he right. Was, he was Jaws, the James Bond series. Yeah. There we go. And he was also in, looks like some sci-fi movies. He was entangled. He died three years ago. Yeah, it was re- relatively recent. Rumor flies. Learn some things that we didn't even know you'd be learning on the episode. I can't tell you how much I've gotten. The fact that we did not know, and now I can't even think his name, Robert Zemeckis did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, I was pretty disappointed. I've gotten that. a lot of flack for that. I take no shame in that. I wasn't really raised on Disney movies anyway. Yeah, that's fine. You've been wrong before. Yeah. So anyway, uh, this study had, that took you know the difference in diets, the ones that ate the generally healthier diet, uh, being less fats and sugars, or at least uh, complex sugars, uh, well, simple sugars actually. So the difference between those glycemics is complex sugars need to be broken down into simple sugars as opposed to like white sugar and then white rice is mainly... Uh, simple sugars, which is just straight to the system and can boost that hormonal response. It turns out that the healthier diet led to a um, improvement in the facial clarity. Like there wasn't as much acne in that group of boys. So that was one suggestion. They also done another one where they had compared, this one was a bit of a flawed study, but there was one where they took like real chocolate and then chocolate flavored candy and fed it to different groups. And there was not much of a difference. So what it really boils down to is that no, the actual chocolate plant itself does not cause acne. Neither the components of caffeine, theobromine, or the cacao uh, fat, or the cacao solids, Mm -hmm. none of those actually cause uh, the acne. You know that one of them is cacao fat, like, you know, the, the cacao butter. Yeah. That's not fatty enough to actually cause that. But when you add something like milk chocolate, there's lots of milk that they throw in there. Those things, sugar and milk, are both things that lead to a high glycemic diet that can cause it. So it's kind of like just a vessel to give you those things. It's really, I'm really glad then that you took the lactose intolerant because you you know you talked about the high fat you know content yeah i didn't mean to round it back in there but like that's that makes a lot of sense though yeah yeah, so i i would kind of say for the most part i would say chocolate does give you acne because chocolate as a whole has those components in it it's not like anybody just goes and picks it like cacao uh, fruit off of a tree and goes and eats it so i would uh, you listener you take it as it is but i would say that it's actually um chocolate would give you acne in most cases unless you eat like very, very, very concentrated dark chocolate. What would y'all's consensus be on that one? I'm going to have to agree with you. I mean, like you said, uh, I didn't realize that your diet played such like a heavy role into it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I knew it probably affected it, but it seems like it's much more important than I previously thought. Okay, you know what? I'll go ahead and restructure the way I said that thing. It's like saying... That gun wasn't the weapon of uh, of the murder. It was the bullet that came from the gun that killed him. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, That's a better way to put yeah, it. Yeah. I think that would be a better way to say it. Uh, but uh, I also read a few different articles with dermatologists talking about this. And they said that an origin to this could potentially be two different things. One of them, just good parental practice where they were using a scare tactic saying that if you eat too much candy or chocolate, you'll get acne. Acne. 
I keep saying uh, like the, you know, the anvil company, but you'll get acne if you eat something like that. If you eat this TNT, your face is going to blow up. Right. <laughs> uh, so I know it's terrible. I'm sorry. Apology accepted. So that was the first one. It was a uh, general parental supervision just to make sure the kids don't eat as much junk food. So the other theory that a few dermatologists had, or at least one that I read from an article, was I, I would say it's a little bit of graspings for straws, but it makes a little bit of sense if taken into historical context. So uh, another thing they said was generally uh, menstrual cycles is something to blame for this whole rumor happening. I mean, if you're talking about hormones having that kind of an effect on it, yeah, that makes sense. Yes, that's two different things. So they said that a lot of women, generally when they have, you know, when they're going through the menstrual cycle or going through their, their period, where this, and this, I'm not trying to be offensive with anything, but this is like from what a dermatologist said, a lot of women noticed that they were breaking out during their periods, but instead they equated that to when they ate chocolate, which happened to have been during their period when they get more cravings for sweet things. Uh-huh. So it's like it's a double edged sword. Two things happening at once, yeah. but the blame gets put on the wrong thing. Yeah, I got so you. So when a woman is going through her period, they will not only possibly have be more prone to acne, they will also be more prone to cravings of sweet things. So instead of, you know, saying that those two things are separate, they put those together and not blame the actual menstrual cycle for it. I got you. So that doesn't explain also why it happens to boys. But that could be a reason why it kind of like, you know, spread around a bit more. It became kind of like a more modern old wives tale, I guess, you know, yeah. it just became just word of mouth like, oh, well, I noticed this happens when this, but it's a false equivalence. So um, I can see that being an origin for it. Yeah, I mean, that makes I totally see. But it I don't think it accounts for the whole rumor. Yeah. Huh. So once again, I'm going to go ahead and say that chocolate does actually in its present form cause acne or at least contributes to it. Yeah. Okay. So we're done with that one. Yeah, Next on. one is for Josh. Uh, this is one that I've heard a million times. And I'm sure pretty much everybody here who has had a soft drink has heard this at some point as well. And it's Coca-Cola can clean a car battery. <sighs> Depending on how much you pay it. <laughs> so before I get to Ryan the science. Racial. Di- yeah. Well, Ryan the science dictionary on your ass. So same thing. The simple answer is yes. (laughs) The simple answer is yes. Coke does, in fact, clean a car battery. But there's a caveat here. It should be pointed out there are much better options for doing this than Coke. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can go to any auto parts store and find something that says car battery cleaner on it. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about if you just want to use some sort of soft drink because that's your thing to clean your car battery, you can use something like, I don't know, soda water. Or Sprite, or just water in general, too. No, not water. Not water? No. I'll get to that in a minute. Thank you for saying that, though. Okay. Uh, soda water. I just do the flub in. Yeah. Well, you soda water is better because it doesn't leave the, uh, the the sugar residue. It doesn't leave your battery all sticky afterwards. Okay. So. That's always my problem with sticky batteries. You know. So, you know, and we've also talked about Coke in previous episodes. And, like, I mentioned to Ryan and Greg tonight, actually. That we That's should... my punk band name, the Sticky Batteries. The sticky... <laughs> We're no longer the wet batteries. We're the sticky batteries. <laughs> That's sticky. Sick reference, bro. I like it. We've talked about like Coca-Cola before and, and a bunch of other things that surround it. So me, that's that's like I mentioned to you two earlier tonight. We should definitely make a, an episode centered around Coca-Cola or, you know, other things like that. But anyway, so in the show notes, I have a list of drinks that most people have in their house or, or drink on a pretty frequent basis that compares the difference the different pH levels uh, of these juices and soft drinks and whatnot like that. Is it one of the penis shrinkers that works best? Yes. Wait, really? No. Oh. Yes. Actually, now that I think about it, kind of. Refer to our other food episode. Okay, listen to episode. Yeah. <laughs> Whichever I'll let, episode I'll let, that was. <laughs> dear listener, you can figure that out. It was our second season food episode. So for reference, the, the pH level of a battery is one. Greg disagrees real quick. I think it was first season where we talked about surge shrinkage. Yeah, it was it was the first season. Greg, I know which website you should go to for this. <laughs> I'm going to check out this obscure website. No, it was. It, it definitely was the first episode. It was uh, season one, I mean. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So a battery has a pH level of one. Coke has a pH level of, Ryan, take a guess. Uh, I want to say like four. No. Two? 2.5. Okay. That's pretty acidic, man. Uh, there, it's not the most acidic soft drink, though. 
Um, would Sprite be the most? No. Shasta Cola? Fago? Fago. <laughs> uh, well, number one, a lot of people are like very surprised by something being like a, you know, acidity of one or a pH of one because it goes from like one to 14, right? Right. On the scale. Well, you can actually get like points of a degree. Just say you said, you know, 2.5. Mm-hmm. You can have like a 0.1 pH or lower, depending on what it is. Like fluoric acid, that's ridiculous. I mean, that'll eat through your bone, but I don't know what the actual pH of fluoric acid is. So the most acidic soft drink, Pepsi. Pepsi? Pepsi. That bastard. And it's tied with another drink. I don't want to hear anything involved with Yankee Cola, okay? (laughs) And there's another drink that is just as acidic as Pepsi. Okay. Sunny D. That's not even a soft drink, but... That's but not even that sour. Here's the interesting thing. Sunny D, 2.4 pH. Run-of-the-mill orange juice, 3.3. Hmm. For the record, Sunny D is Sunny Delight, in case anybody oh. may not know what that is. Yeah, I, I, I figured most people Consult would. Consult Juno for reference. Uh, it's got Sierra Mist as a pH level of 3, so I'm assuming that's the same as Sprite. Okay. That is kind of interesting that, like, the the ketchup to tomato, well, the ketchup to orange... Oh. I f***ed that one up so bad. <laughs> the ketchup to tomato of, you know, drinks. Sunny D being, you know, Sunny D to oranges is orange juice to oranges. The not very close one happens to be the more acidic. What could they... Um, I, I'm assuming it's all from all the sugars. Maybe some ascorbic acid, too. Well, anyway, I found that super interesting that, you know, it's it's almost a, a full... Yeah, that is a bit odd. A full, drop, full point drop off. So, and Ryan, I'm, I'm going to call on you, here, on you here. And chemistry, you know, I've, this is a long time ago since I've taken chemistry, so bear with me. But if you want to dissolve one acid, you can add another acid to it, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, but very in, simply. In, most, like case, dissolves in like. most cases, yes. Right. Like dissolve. I'm not, we're not going that technical. Like dissolves like. Most that, people use water, but yeah. yeah. Um, so, Coke has an acidity, like I said, uh, a pH level of 2.5 so with a battery being one since they're both very acidic when you pour coke onto it it will actually clean the battery it won't dissolve it because it's not more acidic but it will dissolve the you know the residue or whatever else that that corrosion thank you i couldn't think of the word uh it will dissolve the corrosion and i actually have a video of the coke doing that in the show notes it's one guy who like went like at a really really corroded battery took a two liter and not even that much coke actually on, on poured it on top of it and it it looked pretty damn good like it, it wasn't brand new by any means but like it definitely took care of the of the corrosion on top of the battery right and i guess uh this is me botching this i'm doing this straight off the cuff corrosion why people would think to use like coke on there as a quick fix, which, by the way, once again, this is amazing how many times we've seen Coca-Cola as being, like, a quick and dirty fix to almost anything. Even yeah. Most of the time, it's not even the best thing for that. That's why Definitely I said we, not for yeast infections. That's why I said we need to have a, just an episode on Coca-Cola. Tell us if you want that. We're not doing it on Pepsi. We're doing it on Coke. No, f*** Pepsi. Right. I, I got okay with Pepsi, no. crystal Pepsi Shut lately? Up. Shut up. Okay, whatever. Anyway, uh, corrosion generally for a battery, you have a cathode and an anode. Right, positive and, and negative. Yes. And on both ends, like you have electrons flowing through uh, through the cathode to the anode or the anode to the cathode, depending on which uh, chemist you're talking to. I mean, they, they kind of messed up that system, like the way it's officially done and the way it really works. But anyway... Um, when something uh, called oxidation happens when you know a lot of oxygen uh, oxygen molecules get deposited onto that cathode or anode i forgot exactly which one but usually it's both um and then there's a corrosion buildup, and that's just like the the the, degre- the degradation of the metal on that side yeah, well it's got to be both because it happens on both ends of the battery it's not just one side it's yeah. on the positive and negative side right so generally what you can do is you can dissolve that into an acid or i think even a base would probably work well too but generally people are more um acid is more accessible well uh, exactly and water you know it's neutral so it's ph level is seven so you could pour water on on the car battery but you have to like scrub it but by using the acid it it takes that out of the the equation you don't have to you don't have to put your elbow grease into it 
Right. It's actually adding some more chemical reactions to it to help dissolve all of that corrosion off. Right. As opposed to water just kind of being like a medium for you to like kind of make it a little bit less abrasive. And that's why I said it's good to use soda water because it doesn't leave the sticky residue. Good on you, Josh. So, rumor flies, audience, what did we learn? That drinking Coke is closer to drinking battery acid than being water. Yeah, I guess I'll take that <laughs> one home with it. Whatever. <laughs> the more you know. Okay, that's that. All right. So, ready for the next topic? Yep. My next topic is a little bit more fun than the previous two. This one is, are fortune cookies Chinese? Oh, I remember this. This was... um, Oh, I remember. No, I remember this from uh, when uh, Yao Ming, when he was playing with the Rockets, went to Miami and they handed out fortune cookies. Yeah, thanks for taking the first topic, the first little bullet point on my notes right here. So when Yao Ming was playing against the Miami Heat with the Houston Rockets, they first promoted the game by handing out a bunch of fortune cookies. And a lot of people got up in arms about this because they were like, oh my God, that's terribly stereotypical. Yao Ming had this response of, what's a fortune cookie? (laughs) (laughs) So That's racist. No, it's not. I'm going to shut this one down real quick. It's because there's no fortune cookies in China, at least that we know of. Uh, fortune cookies are not really known in traditional Chinese cuisine, mainly because most places that you go in America don't have traditional Chinese cuisine. We only have, like, I want to say three places in New Orleans that serve authentic Chinese cuisine. Your fast food Chinese, you know, the, you know, ready in 10 minutes type of deal. You know, the ones that generally Jewish families eat on Christmas. Not really authentic Chinese. Yeah, so I'm on board with that. I uh, still, it's delicious still. Oh yeah, I Even, still love it. It's I know it's bastardized Chinese, but it doesn't st- slow me down. You know what? I'll promote Hong Kong Kitchen right now. We love Hong <laughs> Kong Kitchen in Harahan, Louisiana. I'm okay with this. Yeah, you're welcome for the advertisement. Don't ask us. We're you just gonna me keep a promoting calendar. you. Yeah. Last last time I was there, I used to go there all the time with my ex girlfriend. And when I was there, <laughs> the lady used to see me with my ex girlfriend, and then I wasn't with her, and so she's like, "Oh, where's your friend?" I'm like. Oh, no. And she's like, oh, she not around no more? I'm like, no. So she goes, I give you a calendar. I'm like, thanks. (laughs) She thought she was, uh, wow. She was trying to be nice. Yeah. So um, (laughs) anyway, uh, Hong Kong Kitchen, we've had so many stories then. We had one of our friends (laughs) himself there. That was great. Uh, (laughs) Oh, man, I love Hong Kong Kitchen. So anyway, getting back to it, Chinese food in China will generally not come with a fortune cookie, which if anybody doesn't know, it's a little tiny like um, horseshoe shaped type of cookie. It's made with generally vanilla, almond uh, flavoring and then sesame oil. They know. They and they have know. like a little like proverb in there. And then, you know, your lucky lottery numbers on the side. Um, and on you the can other learn side. Mandarin. Yeah. Or Cantonese, depending on which Chinese restaurant you go to. Very true. So, that being said, not Chinese, so where is it from? Most people will say one of two things. It's either San Francisco or Los Angeles. There's a big fight about it. Uh, There was actually a mock trial that was held in 1983 in San Francisco. With Jay Reinhold? Yes, mock trial with Jay Reinhold. Did I tell you that time I met William Hong? Wait, you knew about that. He's an asshole. So, um... That story's for the Patreon supporters. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, there, we're going to go ahead and bring the jury in here. I will read the two defendants. Uh, for the, I'm going to recreate this whole 1983 um, mock case that was done by, let's see. So there's a mock trial in 1983 uh, by San Francisco's legal Court of Historical Review. And what they had was plaintiff number one and, you know, plaintiff number two. And you guys are going to decide at the end of this who invented the fortune cookie. So step in plaintiff number one. There's a defendant. What would you consider it? It doesn't matter. That's for our law myths. So this is actually from the website fancyforgingcookies.com where I'm going to be reading the cases. And these are the two most prominent. The Chinese immigrant David Young founded Hong Kong Noodle Company while living in Los Angeles invented the cookie in 1918. Concerned about the poor he saw wandering near his shop, he created the cookie and passed them out uh, free of charge on the streets. Each cookie contained a strip of paper with an inspirational Bible scripture on it, written for Young by the Presbyterian minister. Okay. They didn't name him the Presbyterian minister. It just says the Presbyterian minister on here. Whomever that was, was the one who it was written. Yes. So that's the first one. Guy that's like, you know what? 
we got a lot of bums on these Los Angeles streets. So what we're going to do is we're going to pep them up with some Bible verses and then a little bit of food. So they made these like little cookies for him. Admirable. Okay. Now the shape wasn't listed in there. So just consider that like there is still like some sort of cookie vessel that had a scripture in it. Was it like a Hershey's kiss, you think, where the fortune was just like sticking out like the little wrapper? Yeah, possibly. I mean, that might have been it. I don't know what the wrapper technology was like back then. But anyway, uh, the other ones say that some claim that the Japanese immigrant Makoto Hagiwara. That's fun to say. I've never seen a Japanese name like that. Makoto Hagiwara invented the fortune cookie in San Francisco. Hagiwara, designer of the famous Japanese tea garden in Golden Gate Park, was an avid gardener until anti-Japanese mayor fired him from his job uh, around the turn of the century. Later, a new mayor did reinstate him. But in 1914, to show deep appreciation to his friends who had stood by him during his time of hardship, Hagiwara made a cookie and placed a thank you note inside. After passing them out to those who had helped him, he began serving them regularly at the Japanese Tea Garden. In 1915, they were displayed at the Panama Pacific Exhibition and San Francisco's World Fair. So those are the two main ones. And regardless of which one was which, in 1974, Edward Louis decided to make a machine that inserted the actual fortune into a fortune cookie, which got them a little bit more popular. And then in 1980, Young Lee, which is totally a built-in rap name right there, <laughs> first fully automated the process of making fortune cookies, which led to their fame, their fame that they have now, and therefore the 1983 trial of who invented the fortune cookie. Now there's some things to consider. Sir Makoto Hagiwara... When Although he does have the earlier year for creating the fortune cookie, supposedly, it wasn't exactly in the form that you would see today. Their traditional Japanese-style cookies that were very similar to what we see as fortune cookies today were much larger. They were mainly, they were mainly seen more as like tea cakes than being actual cookies. They weren't the little compact-sized, you know, single-serving type of deal. Oh, okay. So, but the shape is pretty close from what I've read. Uh, same way with the folding. Uh, with that being said, the closer look and, you know, little design inside of it being um, instead of just a thank you note, the, the Bible scripture, it seems that David Young's uh, fortune cookie design was a bit smaller. So either you have the one that technically had the shape, just not the size right, but was done first, or you have the one that is more accurate to what you see today, but was done four years later. So which one do you think it would be? Um, I like the San Francisco dude better. You do? Yeah. The one that it happened sound, later? It sounds, even though it sounds more plausible to me. Like, I don't think it's that far of a jump. Because it's easier for me to see, because it had a similar shape, correct? Mm -hmm. So it's easier for me to for me to sit there and be like, well, they downsized it in order to mass produce it and give it to more people because it was cheaper. Mm -hmm. So it's easier for me to wrap my head around that than... Coming up with a completely different design, yada, yada, yada. But this is more of a personal thing in general. The San Francisco dude you're going for, the later one that had the Bible verses in there? Yeah, sure. Okay. Greg, what do you think? It's like, oh, it could be shaped this way, or it could be that. It's just, it's so much like... It's probably like a lot of things that we run across with this podcast. Is It's probably a combination of both. Well, the judge ruled that the L.A. one was the appropriate. Yeah. Bring it to the Supreme Court. And I think he was going because the year was beforehand. It's just like he just it got shrunken down as time went by. However, I kind of want to lead towards David Young, the San Francisco gentleman, because uh, he had Bible verses in there, and that was at least some form of wisdom. From what I can understand, uh, what Mr. Makoto put in there, it was just like a thank you note. You know, it wasn't any sort of like knowledge that they were imbuing on people. So the fortune cookie that we know today, I would say it was the San Francisco version. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I messed it up. The Los Angeles one. So that's the one I think is the right one. Oh, f off then. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. But anyway, I think it's that guy, the guy that technically made it later because it just uh, just because the same shape doesn't mean it's exactly what it is. I don't know. It's weird. But the point is, is that. No, it's not from China. <laughs> That's the bottom line. That's what we're getting back to. No, it's not from China. Mock trial with Jane Reinhold doesn't matter. Not from China. At best, it's from Japan. So anyway, uh, that's that's that for the fortune cookie. What about you? And the last tap topic of the night that I'm going to be talking about is something that I've heard many, many times. Eating raw or uncooked onions can make you ill. My fiance claims this, so I'm interested to see what you have to say on this one. Well, I found the origin of this one, so I was pretty, pretty excited. 
Uh, it comes from an FDA warning posted in 2003 where there was a recall on green onions or scallions for some people don't know they're the same thing, but they are. The FDA posted a warning um, about the scallions or the green onions being contaminated and making a lot of people sick in specific states. And uh, those specific states were Tennessee, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. I see a pattern. Me too. And actually, it wasn't making you sick. It was hepatitis A. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I was just seeing the pattern on like the... the oh, I was joking. It's no big deal. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't like you got ill, you know, just from like a virus. I mean, well, technically it is a virus, but specifically you got sick um, from having hepatitis A. Now, hep A you get from uncooked food. So can onions carry hepatitis A? No. I mean, yes, they can, but they have to be, un- if you cook them, they can't carry it. They have to be raw or undercooked. But if you're cooking onions, why would you not make them wonderful and buttery and, you know, brown? I, I don't stop cooking my onions until they're caramelized pretty much. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why you would do that. Translucent, bruh. It's actually like one of the, that's like one of my favorite smells is just like butter and onions. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you can get much better than that. Yes, you can. There's garlic. garlic in there too. Yeah, I knew you were going with like, that. I wish they made candles that were scented like that. They probably do. I just haven't looked them up. Just buy, <laughs> just buy a little thing at Trinity and just leave it open. But this was apparently like a big deal because three people died and over 500 people got sick. So, you know, anyway, that's where all this was propagated from that raw or uncooked onions or uh, undercooked onions, I'm sorry, can make you sick. Now, here's the scary part about this, though. Wait, did they find out how the hepatitis A got onto the onions? I'm getting there. Okay. Um, The scary part about this is that the FDA wasn't completely sure where the tainted onions came from. But they were able to narrow it down to at least one or more farms in Mexico. Okay. So, yeah, they came from Mexico, but they weren't able to specifically say which farms they were. So they weren't able to track every single onion that went through that farm that then got distributed in America. Mm -hmm. So, but places like Taco Bell, coming full circle again, they had to issue a warning that not only green, but white onions as well could be contaminated. But the reason for that is like with salsa and things like that, there's both white and green onions in there. The white onions alone, they ended up finding out later on that the white onions by themselves were fine. It was the green onions that were infected and could make give, give people hepatitis A. Oh. But at the time, they just called back all onions and said not to eat them because people were getting sick and some even died. So did somebody bleed on the onions or something? I don't know how, how the hepatitis A is transmitted. Uh, I, I don't either. All I know is that you don't want it. I mean, typically, you can't die from it. It's very hard to die from it, but it is possible. So with that logic, it's pretty much like cook all of your food if that's the case. Well, that, I mean, that's the thing. is you Never know, eat salad unless it's hot salad. <laughs> hot salad. <laughs> that's like some sort of like depraved sex act. Yeah, like in many forms. I do car salad all the time. Oh, God. Okay. I don't even want to know what that is. I don't even want to ride in your car ever. No, no, no. It's not that weird. (laughs) What? (laughs) On the next episode, rumor flies. I took took salad as a euphemism for fucking. No, whenever I get from the store, like they have like the, um, the, 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 the bib lettuce or whatever, the hydroponic one. And sometimes I get hungry on the, the way. Kids call it these it's like three bucks, <laughs> and like uh, it's like three bucks. And sometimes when I'm on my way home, like I just open it up and I just start eating it. It's like it's really easy to get through. So I eat like an entire like head of lettuce uh, like so on the way rolls, home. He rolls a nice little thing of hydroponic lettuce. Mm-hmm. You know, the devil's cabbage. No, it's just a head of. <laughs> I just eat a head of lettuce on the way home from the grocery store. Usually, is that a problem? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. That's not fucking weird. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, getting back to. Um, Raw or, or undercooked onions typically will not give you hepatitis A or make you ill. It was just that in the specific instance this one time, it got people sick. And then that's where that, that rumor or myth or whatever you want to call it was propagated from. So they never had the, uh, they never found the farm. No. Okay. I have a question for you too. Have you ever done this or seen somebody like eat an onion like an apple? I did it once. You're a barbarian. What is wrong with you? Why would you do that? Just to see what it would be like. Greg's giving me this look. No, I'm just like, what? Are we, like, who sits around and goes, yeah, I'm going to eat 
eat that. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming people take candy onions and do that. I've been directed into it. No, Greg, you know, you can't talk because I have seen you during high school. You would do the most cringy thing possible. This dude used to open cans of Coke with his teeth. Oh, why? Oh, yeah, I remember doing that. When oh. I was like 14. So. And you never chipped anything. I mean, it don't take that much pressure. No, <laughs> no. there's a sharp part on the tab. No. And like that scrapes against the back of your teeth nope, too. Nope. Okay. We're done with this. <laughs> All right. Bye everybody. Thanks. Oh. But yeah, so that's, that's where, and I was really glad I did this one because I've heard that before. I found where the myth came from and also found out why it's not true. And it was really interesting to find that it was specifically hepatitis A. So I think I'm gonna have to talk to Carlene about, I don't think she has hepatitis A. I, I mean, you would know because she would be vomiting and violently ill. She doesn't get that sick. Yeah, no, she'd be okay. Maybe she's just allergic. Anyway, so uh, that's that wraps up for you? Yeah, that's it. Um, the only thing that I wanted to mention uh, that we talked about before that we thought would be a really interesting thing to cover, but it doesn't really fall into the rumor or myth category because nobody actually believes it, and that's the 10-second rule. I don't think anybody actually believes that if you drop a piece of food and then pick it up within three seconds or five seconds or 10 seconds or whatever it is that it's actually not, you know, it doesn't have more yeah, germs when, on it when before. This idea was kicked around. I was kind of like, no, that's just like a joke. I think people make to just not, I don't know. I feel like are. there are always some people that are, I'm not trying to insult too many. Yes, I am. I feel like there are that many lowest common denominators that actually would believe that. I don't think like, so. Like, you just assume a lot of things about that, but I think some people generally do think that the three-second or five-second rule, not our listeniers. Our listeners are geniuses. I was going to say, we have the best you know listeners. What? Drop your sandwich on a public bathroom floor for only one second and go ahead and take a bite. No, that's going to be our next video segment. We are going to drop sandwiches <sighs> onto the floor for different amounts of time. We and see make Josh eat them. Who gets no? It's all. One of us gonna take three seconds. One of us gonna take five seconds. One of us gonna take ten seconds. No. Nope. <laughs> oh come on! It's not that bad. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> bless you. Listeners, if you want to send in some video segments for us to check out, feel free. Please we do don't not do that. condone no, or approve do these actions. Please don't do that. Please lawsuits, don't. lawsuits, lawsuits. <laughs> so this was a really fun food episode. I'm really glad that we were finally able to dispel Taco Bell. You know, having bad meat because Taco Bell's wonderful and people should embrace it. Yeah, you can't beat Taco Bell's meat. <laughs> and I, I also just want to mention that I found this really wonderful picture that that is going to be in the show notes. Yeah, Josh has been laughing like for <laughs> no apparent so reason dumb. several times in the episode. Depending on how my editing goes, he's made it hard for me because I just like see him laugh. I'm like, what? And then I just look at the notes like, oh, okay, that's it. It's so stupid. Check out the show notes if you want to find out what Josh has been laughing at. It's <laughs> it's literally It involves two subjects at once. <laughs> it's just a horse eating a taco. <laughs> but it's it's just, no, 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 no. It's a goofy looking little it's a photoshopped horse eating a taco okay <laughs> i'm sure we could have found an actual horse eating an actual taco but no well, the taco is the size of his head well thank you for tolerating all these tangents as well this was like god i don't know what was up with the three of us tonight we were like completely myself included completely unable to stay on time. what's this one called is it a it's a horse is it a haco a horse taco a horco <laughs> a torse oh. a torse <laughs> a torse I don't know. Of course, my torso. I, I like a, I like a horco. <laughs> <laughs> of course, my torso. <laughs> All right, rumor flies listeners. Thanks again for everything, Greg. Where can they check us out? All right, y'all can uh, find us at rumorfliespodcast.com. You can email us at rumorflies at gmail.com, at rumorflies on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook.com slash rumorflies. Um, you can also find us on Google Plus for that sweet, sweet SEO. You know what? Make us look cool. Like, just your homework assignment is to just like subscribe to us on Twitter or Instagram. Oh, right, yeah, we guys, want those you can find right us now. All at we want one of those right now. We want to interact with people on Twitter and Instagram. We're lonely on there. And as always, you can always leave yeah. us a five star review. Yeah, iTunes reviews are really critical. Please consider leaving us one. Let us know if you need any help with that. And um, also, we have our YouTube channel. Um, it has It's an alternative way to listen to the episodes. I've actually gotten pretty good at just really getting those file sizes small. But you can also, like, if you just don't like downloading things, that's one way to do it. It's kind of a 
different way. But we also have a lot of video supplements on there. We had our season three launch video. Pretty proud of that glide cam shot. Not going to lie. Not going to lie. And we'll be continuing with uh, the videos whenever we think of something. It's not going to be a frequent thing, but we will not run out of things to do for it. Yeah, we're definitely trying to get, you know, definitely multiple out. And also, if you run out of our videos, check out the gaming channel, too. Like I said, all three of us are going to be on it. It's just, uh, what was it again? Uh, Oh, yeah. Instant three play. It's all one way. I N S. Somebody spell it for me. I N S T A N T. Is it T H R E E or yes, or the, it's T H R E. I don't use numbers. Not the letter three. No, it's it's T H R E P L A Y. Okay. And the last thing I want to mention before we actually go is we are part of the Dark Myths Collective. Yes. Feel Better free. Hot to, we said that. So yeah, thank you for doing that. Yeah, it's really awesome. We've mentioned it a million times before, but we're like so proud to be a part of it. Great group. Darkmits.org. There's so many fun shows to check out. We got our boys blurry photos. You got Chris Stops with the Eastern Border. A little shout out to Pete's Paranormal Chronicles. Yeah, he was doing too. some great promoting and sharing other shows today. So thanks for doing that, man. That was uh, that's a fun little show. I remember we plugged them a long time ago. Yeah, Claire enjoyed our uh, Disney episode. She told us uh, Claire from Singing Bones. You've already heard her. Uh, tons of people. It's awesome. Um, and you know we don't talk about the whole history side of things. I know we try to do at least one history per season, but. Dark Myths is a lot of good history stuff. Like, for instance, there's uh, Iroquois Myths and Legends. Uh, that one's awesome. Um, there's so many. There's the Our best. fake history? Yeah, love it. It's, it's really wonderful. The one on Ty Cobb's amazing. Yeah, check that out. And, you know, uh, Baleli, who we had on the on the previous episode, he's part of the Darkness Collective. Yes. So that's that's another one to check out. A man that needs no introduction if you've listened to the two biggest podcasts around already. Yeah, exactly. So, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks again. I'm Josh. I'm Ryan. I'm Greg. See you later, everybody. Bye. This episode's closing song is 444 by Black Smurf and produced by Perp Dog.